Visitors from Space, Monday. begins welcome to the enterprise in a special world premiere movie star trek the next generation ready for departure sir engage 78 years have passed since the days of the original uss enterprise now a new galaxy starship has been designed with a new team of highly skilled federation explorers starfleet captain john luke picard commander Riker, executive officer chief medical officer crusher and her brilliant son, Wesley, Lieutenant Commander Data, an android, the telepathic Troy, Geordi, a man with unique vision, Security Officer Yar, and Klingon Officer Worf. Shields and deflectors up, sir. Go to yellow alert. Their first mission, investigate a new star base on planet Denim 4. Thou art directed to return to thine own solar system immediately. A hostile alien threatens the crew. Now go back. Well, thou shalt most certainly die. But they're determined to finish their mission. On our program torpedoes, place them on ready status. Hostel is now beginning to overtake us, sir. Together, they stand trial before a merciless corpse. You will now answer to the charge of being a grievously savage race. Now, they have 24 hours to uncover the secrets of a strange world. Divine one far point, sir. Classic legend begins an all-new adventure. Let's see what's out there. Star Trek, the next generation. Star Trek The Next Generation, a new twist in Two True Freaks, something, something we've wanted to do and uh, we're both big fans of, and um, it's uh, if you haven't listened to our Star Trek Monthly Monday show, it's going to be a part of our monthly Star Trek show. We're going to review uh, Star Trek The Next Generation, and we're going to go through them in chronological order from beginning to end, and we're going to kick it all off right here 
tonight or today or whenever you're listening to it hopefully at work tonight the, the with, 24th century begins with the the <laughs> first episode of Star Trek the Next Generation the big event encounter at Farpoint mhm yeah i just got to say that i i'm so excited that you and I were, were of like minds with this idea because I, I, I dreamt this up a couple of days ago. I, I was thinking, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm always thinking, you know, what can I do to, to improve the show and what can I do to, to add content and what can I do to, to make the, the listeners happy and, and give them what they want and that sort of thing. And something that occurred to me a while back was that our Star Trek episode is primarily focused in the the original series universe but we have touched you know in book reviews and and things on the later stuff and i just got to thinking about you know how extremely popular and and all the fond memories that so many star trek fans have of next gen and and was trying to think of a way you know how can we kind of embrace that and you know the original idea that i came up with was to throw Next Gen, DS9, Voyager, basically everything that was not the original series into a, a, a whole nother hat and, and draw a number out on that. And then, you know, you know, you, you told the story in the other episode already, so I won't go into it too much. But anyway, I just I love how it all just came together. You know, just by dumb luck, you were already watching, you know, had just started watching the first season of Next Gen. And it so it just, it, it all just magically blended together and and as I was watching it I was going man I wish I could talk about these on the show because in depth because not just as a series of stories but also the whole context in in Star Trek lore and and rewatching it all is just very interesting you know and thinking about Roddenberry being involved and just how it came to be and and all that and watching it and how the characters developed it was, it, uh, and I was just—I've been digging every episode, and yeah, I really, really wanted to sort of talk about it show by show. And hey, within a week of me thinking about that, you know, that you were thinking of the same thing, so we might as well <laughs> do it, you know. So here well, we are, and and in this opener segment, we were going to go over basically, you know, how we discovered Next Gen, you know, watching the first episode. But, but yeah. before we get into that, now I'm just really curious, why exactly? Are you had you started rewatching Next Gen right now? I just wanted to because I've seen a lot of them. I saw a lot of them through syndication, mm-hmm. and I, I saw the first episode. You know, the the night it happened, the one we're going to talk about tonight. But the rest of them, I just sort of caught through syndication, all out of order. And do you and, think there's some that I'd you lost, haven't seen? Oh yeah, there's there's the whole last maybe two seasons. I haven't oh, wow. really seen okay. it all. Oh, fantastic. So, so I think I did see the last... I did definitely see the last episode. Uh-huh. The final episode. And I would probably caught a few random ones in between there. But I didn't watch it regularly. But I always enjoyed it, you know. And, and, and I guess I never tried to watch it all in order. Because A, it would have meant buying a lot of videotapes at the time. Right. And, and B... I was getting a fix because it was on every day, you know, every mm-hmm. day you could watch an episode of it. So I would just watch the syndicated episodes and figure, well, I'll just catch them all eventually over the years because these are going to be running forever. And I still catch them on TV now and then, you know, randomly I'll catch them playing somewhere. Uh-huh. And, um, 
but I I really wanted to watch them in chronological order, and now with the um, advent of the Hulu type, you know, stations, there's there's places that just have every episode up, and you can watch them. So I have been, and I've been loving it, loving it. <laughs> and it uh, is it is a good show. It really really is a good show. And I, whenever I think of Next Gen. I always think, strangely enough, as bizarre as this is going to sound, I always think of the first Wayne's World movie, and there's a part in there where where Wayne is trying so hard to keep up with, uh, I think it's Christopher Walken that's scamming on his... No, 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 it's not Christopher. It's uh, Rob Lowe. Right. Is scamming on his girlfriend and impressing her with the fact that he speaks Mandarin or some fucking thing. And Wayne is trying to figure out, you know, what's some really haiku type of thing that I could say to sound smart or impress somebody. And he says, yes, well, it's it's very much like Star Trek and Star Trek The Next Generation. You know, in many ways, it's superior to the original, but will never be as recognized or something to that. And it just slayed me in the theater when I saw that. And I've never forgotten it because that's kind of how I feel about the show is that it really in a lot of ways, it really is superior to the original series as science fiction it is more pure science fiction yes than the yes. than the original series its stories are pretty a lot of the times especially earlier on are pretty hardcore idea based science fiction you know let's take an idea of something that could happen in the future and see how it would happen and 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 also as just sort of a, a template, a, a portrayal of what where humanity has evolved to at that at that point in time. Well, you know, however, you know, the other side of that statement from Wayne is also true that I, I still think, you know, as evidenced by, you know, the recent J.J. Abrams movie, that ultimately that, that statement was really proven true, Kirk, I think. Yeah, Kirk and Spock are... Are and, always going to yeah. be Star Trek to... A lot of people, you know, that that's still, you know, and James Colley even said the same thing, you know, in his mind, Star Trek was the story of James T. Kirk. And that's why, you know, and of course, this will be way, 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 way down the road. But, you know, when eventually we got generations, that's why, you know, people can say what they want about that movie. But that's really why I love that movie. It's not so much the content was the fact of finally I felt like the the next gen story finally came together with purpose if you know what I mean because finally Kirk was in it now all of a sudden next gen I, it was like ah oh, okay now it clicks well the you ghost, know? the ghost of Kirk and Spock are all the way through next generation yes you know I mean you can't things that that Picard does and Data do and stuff like that all feed into you know there's sort of the ghost in the machine in this you know there's a lot of just resonance of Kirk and Spock and, and Data right. and Picard can't do anything without the viewer comparing it right. with the viewer of our age who was brought up with the original stuff comparing it to like WWKD what would Kirk do right so. Well, also, you know, there's, there's, you know, over the course of next gen, you know, we, we would eventually, you know, we would at least meet the captain and crew of the preceding Enterprise. Yet there was never, to my recollection, there were never episodes where they were like, 
hey, remember, you know, the the engineer of the Enterprise B and that adventure he had? Or, you know, remember that time the Enterprise C, you know, went to that planet and those people did this or that? But there were a lot of episodes where they were like, you know, hey, remember when Kirk and them did this? Yes. Or, you know, they, they met Spock and they met Scotty. And, you know, McCoy, McCoy is in the very first episode. You know, so, I, you know, I liked that there was just enough of it there to nod to it without having to feel slaved to it, which is actually funny. That's something I'm going to come back to on. Well, I, I just throw it out there that, you know, I watched this premiere episode, loved it, loved it, loved it, yet did not watch the series. And it wasn't until they were deep into the fifth season, almost done with the show, before I actually discovered it for real and and became what, what you would call a fan. But up to that point, you know, as strangely, as much as I loved the first episode, I bailed out fairly early into the first season and, and wrote it off and, and didn't come back again until way later. But, uh, well, let's get into that. I, I want to know, you know... what. So you watched it when it premiered as well, right? Yes. I remember, well, I remember seeing all that there was all the lead up publicity to it and it was I was not very optimistic about it at all. For one, Oh, really? Oh, yeah, for one at that point I just hated LeVar Burton. I just I had this personal thing about it was you know what it was? It was that stupid Reading Rainbow show. I would <laughs> yeah, see him because I liked Roots. Well, yeah. yeah, I liked Roots, but then I saw Reading Rainbow, and I just hate people who talk in that talk down to kid. Hey, kids, you know today we're gonna read a book, and they get all and he would do that, and I never, I didn't like, I just don't like talking to kids like that. So, well, it's it's funny you mention that because I can remember, and, you know, I started to talk about this um, at the tail end of the the monthly Monday, and you you asked me to save it to this. But I can remember all of the, the like, Entertainment Tonight. That was back in, like, to, to me, even though Entertainment Tonight, I believe, is still around. I haven't watched that show in yeah, fucking it, 20 years. But it, back then, it, it wasn't... Yeah, well, I mean, it wasn't the, the... I mean, it's really, it's like a tabloid on the air now. But back in the day, you know, back during this time in the, in the mid to late 80s, it that was show was informative. Yeah. It was a news source for what was going on. And man, they were really, really covering the creation of Next Gen. I mean, it seemed like every episode of Entertainment Tonight would give you an update. And they were showing as people got hired. You know, they, they showed like when the captain was cast and certain members were cast. They, sh- they were showing like regular updates as sets were built and as as ships were built and things like that and i was i actually remember being really excited yet nervous for it it was it was very much the feeling i had when like when the new kind of like when the new movie was gonna about to come out you know like like excited because there was gonna be more star trek but then also nervous because there was that tremendous potential to fuck it all up you know I was I was happy Roddenberry was involved. I was like, okay, Roddenberry's involved in this, but at the same time, it was a, the, It seemed like they were trying to come up with like, here's some not. There's a Klingon on board, and as you know, and well, and all these, you know, here's it's something different. And I was and I was just watching it, not having that much faith in 
new stuff. Like at, at, at that time, there'd also been a sort of resurgence of bad revisitings of good TV shows or popular TV shows. There'd been Brady Bunch movies, you know, reunion movies. What was one I can remember that was really bad? Oh, WKRP in Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. Sort of came back as a syndicated show where they got Beyond some of the Mash cast. or whatever that after yeah, Mash after Mash and stuff like that, and people were trying to re revamp old series, and they weren't doing it. Actually, this was before the like revamp Star Trek. This was probably one of the first like revamp sort of stuff where it wasn't like let's get the old cast back together, right? Because by this time the cast of Star Trek were making were wanting movie money. They, you well, know, they, yeah, well, Four had been a tremendous hit, you know. Right. It, 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 it so really it was cemented all, so it was them. all movie was, money for yeah. them. So they were yeah, going to do was a no TV coming show, back TV, yeah, yeah, a weekly TV show. No, thanks, you know. And so I, I thought, okay, it's a good idea that they set it, you know, a good amount of time in the future to really give it some distance and sort of that would sort of negate a lot of the characters being brought back into it because they'd be dead or crusty old although as we all know it still worked out you know and 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 also it made me think well if they bring anybody back in it would be spock because he's the one with a lifespan right that could span into there and that would be cool and of course it happened but um i just remember being like eh, very cynical about it i just didn't think it was gonna be too good i sort of like the design of the new enterprise and it made sense to me that it was, you know, a sort of different design and a little sleeker. And uh, I was in college, and I went out with all the other... You know, I was at RIT, which is a nerded-out college, so everybody was sitting in the common room watching it, as it, uh, including my friend Mark Martin, who's another super nerd-type guy. And, uh, yeah, we all watched it, and, and I remember in the first five or ten minutes I was going what this is Star Trek <laughs> yeah it, it's Star Trek I can't believe it it's it's got it's got the look it's got the feel it's got the it was the first the, I mean this this one um, encounter at Farpoint is probably the most cinematic of all of them yes they put a little more time and you know they made it a little more like a movie it's it's a lot more you know well it premiered as a movie too yeah I think yeah I yeah so it's got a little more movie. It still has all the fundamentals that would settle into the look of Star Trek The Next Generation, but some extra little chutzpah and a little extra money and spit and polish put into it. So it had that very um, shot-on-film sort of thing, whereas when, when it... When it got going, it always had that sort of videotape—not videotaped, but you know well, what I mean. This, no, yeah, no, it is very much videotaped because that's actually one of my notes when we when we get into the actual dissection of the episode. Is uh, the only part of it that, to me, didn't even even at the premiere didn't work for me is there's there's two shots in the show that because they were using video effects rather than film right. by that point right the opening shot of the enterprise that mat looks terrible it yeah. looks really bad and then at the very end of the episode when the enterprise sends down the energy beam to the station yeah 
That looks horrible. It's it, sort it of it like Doctor Who. Like, well, you know what it looks like to me is it almost looks like South Park because it almost looks like a like paper. Yeah, you know, like like it's dubbed in. You know, like it's like it's made out of cutouts yeah. or something, and it looks really rough. But the rest of it, you know, I thought was really good. But you know, sometimes the video. You know, when it worked, it really worked. But when it didn't, it looked horrible, and and that was the drawback to the to the videotape effect. But yeah, it's it a was drawback. Very much but to me, in the long term of it, now now watching it, it gives me the same feeling that seeing the the limitations of the original Star Trek, see you mm-hmm. know, the the quote unquote cheesiness aspect of it. You know, well, I want to come back to that in a minute about about the cheese and all that, but. You know, when we started talking, and you kind of blew my mind about your, your your trepidation about when it was coming along, I got to thinking why why did it seem like we we had never talked about this? Why you know? Because I got to thinking why wouldn't we have been comparing notes? And then I got to thinking this premiered at a time, you know, in the fall of uh, of eighty seven, where. You know, we we were actually our lives were kind of taking different routes by that point because we had just graduated high school, and you went off to college at RIT, and then uh, a few months after this premiere, and this probably actually lends in a lot to why I didn't follow the show. Was not long after this premiered, I went into the service. Right, <laughs> so I was <laughs> out of basic touch. training and st- yeah. such like that. No, yeah. Because I went through basic, and then I went through the police academy, and and by the time I was back in the world, so to speak, I really didn't keep up with TV yeah. at all for those four years. Yeah. I mean, I really watched very little well, television. That, that, and- that was the same with me. In college, we didn't have a TV set in our dorm room, so I the only reason I watched that is it was playing out in the in the common room and everybody was like Star Trek the premiere of Star Trek's on my roommate and I were like oh yeah that's right you know and we went down the hall and watched it and and I was just I saw Jordy LaFour show up and I'm like oh yeah that's right but then you know I thought he'd I think LeVar Burton's a, LeVar, LeVar Burton's a really good actor it's just that reading rainbow thing of where he got all like his way of talking to the children's was like i am an actor and i will now do my child speaking voice and now children but you know i'll speak slowly and clearly as if they're <laughs> deaf and you know stupid stupid and yeah it drives me nuts but well, you know yeah, you but would... i got over that because Jordy laforge was a great character and uh yeah, very well introduced in this. There were some interesting things that I forget, like that he's in pain constantly. Right. <laughs> in order to see, he's got to like probably have a splitting headache all the time, and he can't take drugs because that'll mess it up. And well, I kind of forgot where I was going when I started talking about the Entertainment Tonight thing, and it was really about you know one of the big things that they kept playing up was Lavar Burton being right. cast. And, you know, to me, who had, I'd never seen Reading Rainbow because where I live, for some reason, we didn't get PBS on our TV. I don't know why. Yeah. But also, I never saw Ruts. Uh, never watched it Ruts. when it was on. <laughs> so, you know, I saw it years later and thought it was horrible. But, you know, uh, up at the point where where Star Trek was being created and he was really the only name – you can't really say big name. But, you know, he was, only, he was the only name actor at yes. that point cast everybody else was pretty much an unknown you know like Riker had done some 
soap opera stuff and some some guest appearances on like the Waltons and shit like that. But besides him doing that, and Picard had been in uh, Life Force and Dune, and he'd probably been in a lot of like Shakespearean theater and stuff like that. Yeah, but I mean like like movies and TV, Right, right? But you know, LeVar Burton was the one that they kept talking about on on Entertainment Tonight, and I can remember getting really aggravated about that. Like, you know, who is this guy that they keep hyping up like like he's the big draw for this? I'd never heard of him. You know, well, he so was, yeah, he was he was Kunta Kinte, right? So he, yeah, that meant nothing to me as yeah. a. And I mean, he was a standout. He was a standout role in Roots. I mean, he was great in that. I mean, that's the scene that everybody remembers. Is I believe it was Lavar Burton who was getting whipped, and you know yeah, they, they, they were going to name him Toby, and he was Kutikinte, and he was they, get whipped. They finally broke him down. Yeah, yeah, yeah I remember and, that? Uh, yeah, reading Rainbow had had ruined all that for me. So <laughs> I was already just like, oh, LeVar Burton, because I was thinking he was going to do his. And that the, and they had a kid in there. And I oh, was yeah. Of, and I was sort of like, ah, come on, you know, unless it's going to be some sort of Charlie X type thing. I don't know if I want to see a kid in there. But um, I thought I, 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 unlike a lot of people, never found Wesley too annoying in I'm sure you and I might be at odds with that because I'm at odds. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to save it until that. we get into the actual episode breakdown. But yeah, we are very much at odds about what <laughs> if you didn't mind him because uh, I've in 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 the beginning stages. And I, you know, you and I talked before we started. We're really going to try to do this very much like we do our Walking Dead reviews, where we're we're going to try our best not to spoil ahead. Yeah, for for whatever reason, just really for our for our our own fun of doing this, we're really going to try to treat this, you know, each episode building upon what had come before, just yeah. like they and then we'll they refer backwards to the ones that we've done before instead of referring to something that might happen right. in the future, someone who right. might reappear or disappear or die or right. So you know, but in regards to to Wesley Crusher, I'll, I'll just say this much: that eventually, when when he would come back much later after he'd had some some legitimate training and maturing then i kind of liked it but this opening you know where where he's very much just the the dorky nerdy son of the doctor you know and all i really 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 fucking hated that kid and and you know it's What's hard is, you know, some people have a, have a hard time divorcing actors from their roles. And I don't with, with Will Wheaton. I like Will Wheaton. I like him, the actor, very much. It, it was just the role. And he was so good in the role uh, of Wesley. But I, I, I like him. I just, I, I couldn't stand that character until much, much later. But uh, I wanted to get back. You know, you had talked about cheesiness. And, you know, cheesiness to a lot of people equates to really being something of, a, of an insult or what. But in this particular instance, the cheesiness inherent in, especially in this pilot. Says Star Trek. Helped, yeah, very <laughs> much so. It helped me because you can't, you, you cannot deny the fact, no matter how hard you try, no matter how awesome it was and how great it was and all the great ideas and ideals and everything else of the original Star Trek that one of the big fucking elements of that show 
that is part of the legend is the inherent cheesiness. And I like the fact that either by design or happenstance, a lot of that cheesiness carries right over to next generation. A lot of the same elements. And one of the things that uh, I noted today that I'd kind of forgotten about was as I was going about doing busy work and stuff before I actually sat down to rewatch the episode, I was listening to Dennis McCarthy's score for the episode. And man, is it cheesy. But it's cheesy in a great way because it's cheesy in a wow. This sounds like Star Trek. Yeah, it has the yeah the the stabs and the in the intros and the outros. You know they're they're updated a little bit. They're not they're not a complete throwback, but they have. Well, it's it's eighties cheese. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's I mean there's there's a a beautiful piece in the soundtrack that refers right to the original Star Trek music. Yes, you know, with the en- en- Enterprise flying, and you hear, you know, the actual da 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 da, da yep, playing a couple it, of times. and it's and it's great. Although there is a gratuitous just replaying of the theme music when the saucer section yeah, yeah <laughs> separates. That That's just gratuitous, and yeah, that actually was painful to sit because I there was a, a stab a- at majesty that did not work, right? Because I, you know, I love that theme as performed by Jerry Goldsmith for say Star Trek the motion picture or any of the times he came back in the later motion pictures like five or or first contact or whatever but the next generation theme as performed by McCarthy for the television show is so sped up and so tinny to me that it fucking grates on my nerves it really does it just never worked for me because it didn't have that full lush orchestra behind it and it was it was it was sped up i don't know what the technical terms i don't know if it's tempo or at whatever a faster but, tempo yeah. yeah it's it's at a faster tempo and it just it really it, it sounds like a ringtone or something to me it, it's it's that tinny and that that grading that hearing it twice in one episode was a little bit too much for me. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, um, take a break and then come back and get into the actual breakdown of the, of the show. Yeah, I think we're ready. Cool. All right. We'll be right back. This crew is on a quest for adventure. They find it in a place called space. Star Trek, the next generation tonight at seven on channel 11. Riker. All right, we're back, and you know we sort of talked about everything leading up to the the show. Let's let's talk about the actual show now. Yeah. Now, I I wish I could remember. You know, you say you you have vivid memories of of sitting down to watch this. Yes. For the life of me. I remember my reaction walking away and, and how much I, I really, really dug it. And a lot of that was because of, I, I think this really has great parallels and, and great similar feel to Star Trek, the motion picture, oh, which, yeah. you know, like I said, you know, I, I love Star Trek, the motion picture. That was one of the things, but I cannot for the life of me remember where I saw this. I don't know if it was at home. I don't know who I watched it with or anything. All I know, I just remember watching it, but that's so odd. I usually remember things like that, but all I can remember is that uh, I really wanted to watch it with Randy 
because he and I were such or are Trek still freaks. such Star Trek fans. And to this day, so far as I know, he still has never warmed to to Star Trek The Next Generation. I remember that being a big deal in my family, you know, of my of my family that watched it. Because my dad was never really into Star Trek. He'd tolerate it, but he was never right. you know, into it. But, you know, we'd go over to my Uncle Gary's, uh, and my Uncle Gary ran a restaurant. And when he would close up... You know, most nights, if I was free and not working or going to school or whatever, you know, I'd go over there as they were closing the restaurant. And a lot of times it would be like me and my Uncle Gary and Randy and my Uncle Steven and whoever else might be hanging around. And we would watch Star Trek. And I can remember as it neared the time for Next Gen to premiere. And then when it finally did premiere, that I felt like I was the only one who was willing to kind of give it a fair shake, whereas the rest of them, I mean, you know, it was almost like that lynch mob mentality. They were ready to fucking string up Picard. They could not stand the fact that their beloved Captain Kirk was was going to be was going to be seceded by this, you know, this. I, I can remember very specifically him being called a ball-headed bastard. <laughs> they really did not like Picard. And, and I think the only one I can remember, the only cast member I can remember them being kind of lukewarm to was Riker because he was very much like the, the Kirk. Right. You know, very similar to Kirk. But uh, it just it was really funny. But I wanted to blow your mind right out of the gate with a piece of trivia that I just learned within the past couple of years. Now, I've watched this episode, Encounter at Farpoint, literally a million times because I videotaped it the night it premiered and would just watch it over and over and over. I liked it that much. And every time I would watch it, that Groppler Zorn guy would uh-huh. just hit a nerve. With, and I was like, God, where do, I, where do I know this guy from? And I kept trying to think, you know, because I've usually got a really good memory for... Even the most bit of bit actors, if I've right. seen them somewhere else, I can usually within a within a day or so I can figure out where I've seen them in some other movie or what. But for like twenty years, I've been trying to figure out where the hell do I know this guy? Why does he bother me so much every time I watch this? And uh, I finally learned not long ago he was the voice of Zan of the Wonder Twins. Jeez, I never would have picked <laughs> that was, out. Yeah, well, I mean, it's pretty obscure, but you know, it was his voice that was, it turned out. It was his voice that was getting to me, not not really so much the actor uh-huh. himself. That he's it's, the actor's name is Michael Bell, and he's actually some of a, something of a famous voice actor that hasn't really done a whole lot of live action work. So he's more known for his voices, and he's got, I mean, a super impressive resume of voices. But of the of the ones that he's done that stand out to me, it was Zan from the Wonder Twins, and also he was the voice of Lex Luthor on the uh, the short lived uh, Ruby Spears Superman cartoon from back in uh, 1988. You know, uh-huh. the Saturday morning show. So that's where I knew this guy from, and for like 20 years I didn't know that. It just kept bothering me that that I felt like I should know him, and then I finally, uh, I don't even think I figured it out. I think I heard it or, or read it somewhere, and I was like, oh my god, yeah, that's where that comes from. But Well, I'm thinking before we go any further, I should maybe give a little shit-can synopsis of what happens. 
Oh yeah. In this is uh you know this is the first this is the introduction to the new crew so they're all on their way to this new star base at Farpoint. Or I don't think it's even a star base necessarily but it's yeah, been they want built it there they, and they might be buying yeah. it they might be yeah. you know paying these people to to get it and uh, they're on their way there. I believe before they get there they're on their way actually to go pick up Picard's number doctor, one and the doctor yeah. and Wesley and, and um, Jordy. I believe Jordy also. So they're sort of on their way there. And this is, of course, the first time we see a character that we'll be seeing again as Q shows up as this very sort of thou the Shakespearean age guy warning them that if they proceed on, they've gone about as far as they can go, and if they proceed on, they surely will die and Picard sort of has a standoff with this guy where, you know, he's he's basically insulting humans and calling us savages and grousing about our past and uh, just generally gives Picard a hard, hard time and then takes off. So Picard is wondering, you know, how are we going to deal with this guy? What they eventually decide to do is we're just going to run away and get out of here. So, <laughs> um, you know, seeing as how these guys... Well, what they did is they sort of threw up a cosmic chain link fence in front right. of the Enterprise to, so they couldn't <laughs> go any further. And so the, the Enterprise decides it's going to whip around out of there. And so so they whip around out of the chain link fence and run away. And the chain link fence just sort of bends into a little orb that starts following them. And it becomes very clear that they're not going to outrun it. They're, they're pushing their warp drive as fast as they can. So Picard decides to put all the women and children and crew up into the saucer section and then um, take everything else to the battle bridge. So they set up in the battle bridge and while they're being chased, they fire a bunch of torpedoes off to distract the ship that's the Q ship that's chasing them. And well, they separate too, don't they? Right, don't, right. Don't well, they, they, do that, they do that to distract them. So when, when the photon torpedoes blow up, they separate the saucer right. from the hull and the saucer goes off and then Picard immediately turns around to face a Q-ship and and surrenders and ends up in this whole trial you know where Q is basically putting them on trial for humanity's crimes and basically it, uh, it ends with Picard arguing his way out of the whole thing not out of it but putting it off until the whole Thing that happens, whatever's going to happen at Farpoint happens. So he knows there's something up there, and the cues are going to be watching them to see how the humans react to it. So they they go to the starbase, and where we meet Jordy and you know Doctor Crusher and and her son and 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 Commander Riker, and um, they're they're on this uh, planet at Farpoint. And they're starting to no- notice weird things. Like, if they want something, it just sort of turns up pretty quickly. And Riker in his conversations with... Pre- what, what's the guy's name? Praetor? Not Praetor. That's that was uh, Groppler. Groppler. Groppler Zorn. Groppler Zorn. In his conversations with him, he thinks something's kind of up there, you know? So, eventually, you know, Picard shows up and the saucer section shows up and they hook back up and we get the whole crew in and Picard sits down Riker in front of a TV set and uh, catches him up on the whole 
on the whole story that's going on. The long and short of it is they find out that this whole this planet and the base on it are have supposedly been built for Starfleet to use, but what it really is is the race where Grappler Zorn comes from have enslaved these sort of space jellyfish creatures that that can create things out of people's wishes to to build these to build this structure, you know, very quickly. Well, doesn't say they convert energy to matter, to pretty matter. much like the transformer or you know, transform the transporter or the right. or the holodeck do. Right, but they're using more like the energy of people's thoughts and right, stuff. Yeah. Instead of you know copying something, they're 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 using a thought to create matter, and they they've sort of enslaved one of these things, which turns out to be a youngin. And we, we, you know, we start to figure this out because the parents show up as a ship and just start pummeling around the planet, or, you know, around the base, and the Praetor is being tortured by, you know, beams of light, and eventually we figure out that, you know, this, this, their this is the parents of the creature that they've used to, to build this base, and card sorts everything out and they free the youngin and off it goes and lesson learned it's a very it's a very vidra sort of moment you know when when you see it come up out of the planet and extends its tendrils and it's just now, now you took it that the that the one that came looking for the one on the planet was its its parent it was like right. I, I i i it had the whole feeling of a parent you know rescuing a, or it was at least an adult rescuing a child you know huh. that's funny i i just I, i'm surprised by that because i've never heard that take before i always or a mate you know, even it could have been well, a yeah mate. that that's 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 what uh uh what's her name troy says is something about or no i think it's the captain actually that says you know that it came to rescue its mate so i oh, guess okay. i just always took it well no I, i'm not criticizing what 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 you came to i think that that's interesting that you I took think it I just that way it that, yeah no, but I mean, I think that's really an interesting observation because I think that that's just as valid as as Picard's assumption that it was like a husband coming for a wife or a wife coming for a husband is that it could be a parent coming for a child or even a child coming for a parent. I think that's. Well, I think I thought of it this way: if if this cre- uh, a creature of that power, because the power to create from thought is pretty powerful. Yeah. If it was to get captured and used, it, I would think it would probably be a young one that was not fully able to defend itself or, you know, was not able to avoid whatever trap it was that they used to, right. to capture it and use it in that manner. You know, so it was a, it was a lesson in, it was a lesson in things aren't the way they seemed. And, you know, the Q basically give Picard a pass, but... Just generally, see, I really love the I really love the cue in this. I really love the idea of it, of this race and the, 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 them being somewhat omniscient. Although this is something that's you know shows up in Star Trek all the time, so that sort of felt kind of homey too, as having an omniscient race. That, but the cue really fuck with Picard and the Federation. They really fuck with him, you know. They really put I'm, humanity I'm, to uncomfortable. You know, he they re- he really makes everybody uncomfortable all the time, you know. He's right. just there to be a bastard. And there's something comedic about it because he's sort of a foil to Picard. 
even though they're all hot, get all hostile and worked up, there's something almost comedic about it. But at the same time, it's sort of the cruel to be kind thing is, you know, they're not messing around with humanity. And at the sa same time, they are messing around with us. But they're doing it in a seemingly almost bad-natured way or like an evilly mischievous way. And I think they do that to keep us off balance. I, I, I always a... got the impression that the Qs were very benevolent but messed with us for, you know, almost in a zen way, you know, in almost the trickster sort of way. I, I think that particular cue, you know, the, the John Delancey cue, yes. I think does eventually prove himself to, to be more or less like a stern teacher that's trying to guide rather than what, what he initially appears to be, which is, you know, a, a, a being that's just as, just as prepared to destroy us than to help us or something yes. like that. But I, I have a confession that I'm probably opening myself up to a, a lot of whatever, but I'm going to say it anyway. I'm not a fan of the Q. I like him in this episode. And with the exception of a couple other episodes that, you know, when they come along, I'll, I'll mention them. To me, he was great in this episode. I mean, I really liked him in this episode, but the problem was is that I think that Q is kind of like the Galactus of Next Gen, which is he's awesome the first time you meet him, and then they fall into, well, we got to bring him back, and we got to bring him back, and we got to bring him back. And every subsequent reappearance watered him down to the point where he was a shadow of his original awesome self, you know, in this one, he seems so godlike, like he really could, on a whim, do something drastic to oh, sure. his, you know, he could, uh, I don't know, maybe wipe him out. We don't know how, just how powerful he is. But as he keeps coming back and we learn more about him and, and he becomes more familiar, then he starts to lose his teeth kind of like Galactus to where you know it becomes to where now when Galactus comes to Earth well that's Wednesday it's no longer Doomsday you know right. and and so that's that was kind of my feeling with with Q is that in the long run I really wish that we'd gotten you gotta this stop that going forward in time man oh I know I'm just saying that I, it, you know well it's hard to talk about some of yeah. these characters and not play ahead a little bit I'm just I wish in the long run that that we'd gotten him as this opener and then the closer that we get, you know, when when the series wraps. And that was I would I would be perfectly happy if, if that was all the cue we'd ever got. Because I think that those are beautiful bookends to the series. You know what I mean? Yeah, well I'm a bit I'm I'm a big fan of the cue, so there you go, listeners. You'll have something to listen to us to us argue about. We'll be we'll we already got the cue and um and Wesley Crusher to disagree on. Oh, we need to talk back. Episodes. Yeah, we need to touch back on Wesley Crusher because that was one of my notes here was uh, was about Wesley Crusher. Now, my problem with Wesley Crusher, well, one of many problems with Wesley Crusher is that for one, doesn't really have to even to do so much with his performance. Is that I think by bringing in a, a young. I mean, really, he was a child. By bringing in that child to this cast of what is supposed to be a serious show, a serious serious science fiction show, 
I've always been a little bit mystified as to what exactly Roddenberry's intentions were. Was it to give children in the audience an identifier in the show? Kind of like, I think. Yeah, you know, like, I mean, was this supposed to be the Robin character to everybody else's Batman that, that kids would identify with? Because if that's the case, then I think all that ultimately does is add somewhat of a justification to all the Star Trek detractors over the years that have written Star Trek off as, oh, that's for kids. Well, or that's it was, it's an ensemble cast, so they were probably hedging their bets. You know, let's... There, there was. They made plenty of characters in there for the women. You know, the, the I mean, the, right. head of, the head of security was a strong woman who was obviously kicks ass in this episode. You know, she's she's right on the ball to start kicking ass when ass needs to be kicked. Right. And there were, and you know, there were there, there was the action figure guy with with number one, and you've right. got Picard for the cerebral science fiction fans and you you had you know Deanna Troy as the touchy feely kind of hotsy totsy character with some past with Riker and you had the nurse with with some past with Picard and and the kid and you had and this weird little issue thing of where Picard had brought his father's body back right. to them which had and, you know and Picard makes it very he actually in one of his first conversations with Riker tells him, there's kids on board now, and I'm not used to kids, so make sure that I don't make an ass of myself. And that's how Wesley immediately gets on the bridge, as Picard is trying, you know, he's maybe trying a little too hard to be accommodating and to to be a captain. You know, he knows how to command a troop of adults, but with kids, uh, he doesn't know how to do it as much, so he's just trying. It's something, it's shown as one of his weaknesses, you know. Well, plus it, character to him. With this being the first episode, there's a lot of weirdness going on between Picard and the Doctor, and and between Riker and Deanna Troy. She's talking right. to him and psychically going, "Ah, I never forgot you either." <laughs> well, that yeah, that well, that thing with 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 Riker and Troy was. Roddenberry finally getting to play with Ilea and Decker that he right. never really got to play with in in the motion picture. But this thing with uh, with Picard and the Doctor, what what I was getting at with that was that you know they were really laying the the groundwork here of that long speculated you know was Picard you know had they had some sort of relationship could Picard possibly even be. Wesley's uh, father. Wesley's father, and that was out there for a long, long time. You know, that was that was one of the big things going on, and I felt like that was well, really when, when he goes, "You have a son," you know, and he's he's looking. You could tell he's maybe doing a little math in his head to see if it lined up right. You right. know, that, that that there's definitely a little bit of that in that scene when he and he and Wesley first when. You know, the doctor first comes to the bridge, and he's like, what is this child doing on the bridge? Well, you know, also, Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, was not very far in the past when this came out. And, you know, in that movie, you know, Kirk sure. learned that he had a son and, and had met him and everything, but then they immediately 
offed that character in the very next movie. And I remember there being some fan speculation, you know, was this an attempt to maybe try that idea again? You would think in the future in these days that they would have some sort of advanced form of birth control. (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) They've got everything else to take care of. You'd think they'd have something you just wave over your crotch and go, and it's like, all right, we're good to go. Well, yeah, you would think so because you know the. I don't know if it's uh, if it's official canon or not, but I can remember somewhere reading I don't know Star Trek logs or something about that they use beard suppressors rather than actually uh-huh. shaving. So if they have beard suppressors, you would think that maybe they got like spooty suppressors, you know, something like that. So I don't know. Yeah, that's that's a good thought actually. I remember one of the things I thought of, and that was a, a I can remember being a criticism of a kind when this started was that in the beginning, especially in this episode, it was kind of hard to determine exactly what everybody did of the, of the core cast. Cause you know, in the, in the classic one, you know, it's very clear. You've got the captain, you've got the science officer, you've got the communications officer, you've got navigation and helm, you've got the engineer. But in this one, it, it's a, it's really a lot more vague because like Riker, he's the first officer and that's pretty much it. You know, what the hell does he do? At least when Spock was the first officer, he was also the science officer. Science officer, yes. And I noticed there was a point in this where uh, Yar and Worf are in the back row, and, you know, Worf's doing something back there. Oh, shit. And then a few minutes later, like a few scenes later, then he's up at the front laying in one of the lounge chairs running the ship. So it's like, what exactly does he do? And I can remember watching the show and thinking that. And there were even times where... He might be like, like the vice president in these days where he's just sort of <laughs> has a few little, you know, few little duties to do, but is mostly there in case something happens to the captain, you know? Right. Well, also the uh, I, I I've always now I think they do eventually change them, but those chairs that are on the at the con and ops station I would so sleep my ass off if I had to sit there in those because they were like a lawn chair man. yeah they, yeah you know they were like those reclining lawn chairs they they were cocked way back they were like that plush Corinthian leather and all that. I'd I'd just, I'd be asleep in five minutes if I was flying the damn ship. I'd run, I'd kill us all and fly into a star or something, you know? Well, at least they don't have like a steering wheel or you know, on the on the Enterprise that you fall asleep and lean against and all of a sudden you're listening to the left. Everybody falls to one side. Exactly. Except, you have the, to... except the one guy that's not paying attention and falls the opposite way or something. Exactly. You know, at, at least you have to push a series of buttons to get anything done on the helm. But um yeah, I mean another thing I noticed in this is there I think Roddenberry by this time had gotten the clout for being and recognition for being the creator of Star Trek that I think he got a lot more of his stuff in here, for better or worse. Oh, yes. He yeah. got a lot more Roddenberry-ness in this. I mean, the Q are a total Roddenberry idea. The, the Q and the way Q did things. And there were little scenes in it that just reminded me 
like Roddenberry put this in there. He wanted to make sure, like he wanted to make sure that there was a a good subtext of of sexuality in there. Right. And it shows up a lot more in in this series, but in this one there there was a scene that specifically they had, you know, when Riker needs to get to the holodeck and he he's asks somebody for directions. It's this little short feisty woman. I know where and you're you going. can tell right off the bat that she's like, "Hey, who's the guy in the jumpsuit?" Well, when he walks away, she checks his ass. That's exactly what I'm that? saying. That's exactly yeah. what I say. They left a scene in. He walks off camera, and she's looking back at him, and you can tell she's looking back at him, going, "Uh huh." And then you he see her eyes go. You see her eyes looking at like she'd just been talking to his face, and he walked away. And they immediately went right down to his ass, and she's just like, mm-hmm. You know, and then they cut to the next scene, and I watch that, and I'm like, they deliberately left. I mean, that actress had to, either that or it was a funny take that she did that they said, hey, let's not let that in. But I seem, I prefer to think that Roddenberry's like, I want to see, so, you know, some ladies checking out, you know, some of these people checking themselves out because, you know, they could conceivably... Oh yeah, I you think know, so too. Yeah, there's a the, this Star Trek had a bit of the old Star Trek had hankity pankity in it, but it was mostly Kirk or you know sometimes somebody else got lucky, but it was mostly Kirk. It was in Shatner's contract probably was would get lucky with some. I call it James Bond style sex, right? Where you have sex with them in the show, and then you you know it's starry eyed like oh my god we're in love. And then the next show, you never hear of that person again. <laughs> that woman is gone, you know. And in this one, there's hanky-panky between all kinds of the crew. And it's not really scandalous, you know. It's not re- in, in the future, I think they're a little more swingy, if you get my drift, you know. Oh, yeah. But- well, by, by the end of the series, you know, here we are again going, you know, going way ahead. But by the end of the series... There's yeah. There's very there's few a tangled of the web. core seven that have not banged each other. Right. That. Yeah. So, yeah. So it's it's there's the and that was always sort of a a Roddenberry thing. And you know, of course, he got to put in a lot of things in this series that he couldn't have possibly gotten away with in the original Star Trek. You know, he could he could push it he could push it a little further. You know, he could he could put women in in roles of power. And not have it be that big a deal. So he even pushed it and made her in, made her security officer. So she's, you know, well, the doctor. You know, the doctor is a woman too. You know, which was kind of that was still a big deal at that. You know, in the more enlightened right. age of 1987, that was still a big deal. Still kind the, of a big deal. You're right. Was a woman. Yeah, you're right because they were sort of hoping. People were probably sort of hoping for you know sort of just sort of a revamp of Star Trek with. Different, you know, a Kirk, you know, I, I, I would, and even I, I would have pictured it more of the Riker character being captain, and and Data being number one, as the Vulcan sort of character, you know, because they do have the Data's the Vulcan, he's the non-human well, well, human. Well, let's let's do that. Let's run through the characters because I'm curious, okay. you know, now now going strictly trying not to to to. Well, I, I, you know what? I'll say this. Let's go into the because we're hitting the thirty-minute mark. Let's let's start Damn, out already? the next segment by running through the characters. Okay. And we'll be right back with the character rundown, the character countdown. We're gonna line them up and call them off. 
Obi-Wan. Your lightsaber's showing. Kick his ass, Shag. Live long and proud. Suck it, Frodo. I'm sick of being a goddamn scarecrow. I'll give this podcast thing a try. Later. Two. to chew bubblegum and kick your ass. Wow, you've gone from very fine to near mint. <laughs> what a man! Size matters not. Two true freaks.lipson.com So we're back, and uh, you know, I was just thinking about something while we were on the break. You know, this this came out in '87, so not too much longer, man. This is going to be 25 years yep. old. Realize, God damn, where'd the time go? That means this show has been off the air now 15 years, which is twice as long as it ran. Oh, it's just—I don't know—it just blows my mind when you think of numbers like that. I Where mean, it just doesn't the time go. Yeah, absolutely. It does. It does, does. It seem that long ago? No, it doesn't. But it doesn't to me at all. That's the nature of getting old. <laughs> oh, God. So let's get into the characters. And uh, what I want to do in this in this character thing, I want to really try not to project ahead to where we know these characters are going and, and where they're headed, but but try to see if we can put ourselves back to 1987 in our in our first impressions watching this episode you know what did we think of everybody right out of the gate all right who are we starting with well let's let's start with the with the big one let's start with the captain well right away i noticed he's more cerebral which i was kind of i was like okay this is going to be a different a fresh approach i was happy with all the characters in one way or another i i was satisfied with with all of them if that does that sort of ruin everything? Well, that just takes the piss right out of it, doesn't it? No, well, well let me see. The captain. I mean, the, I the captain was the one I was the most sort of sketchy on. Right. Mm-hmm. I can remember. <laughs> are I th- you? I think. Are you, you eating too, or is it just me? Uh, yes, I, I, I'm, I'm shoving some cheese doodles in my craw every. I'm shoving cheese in. I'm starving to death. Well, you know, I mean. Right off the bat, in the first episode, and, I, and since we were talking before, and we both have this in our notes, right off of the first episode, this guy surrenders. <laughs> yep. We surrender unconditionally. And he ju- and he does it, and he's not happy about it, but man, Kirk, what, you would have had to have Kirk at the, you know, especially after jettisoning all the women and children, Kirk would have been trying to, you know, use his reasoning powers and logics, you know, argument skills... An emotional pleas to work the cues, which you know Picard was doing too. Picard also uses the Kirk power of persuasion. You know, I will argue this through and make humanity's point. So they were both classic Star Trek captains in that way. But he Picard's does, but at the same rate, I would argue he's not a man of action. That's I for would sure. argue that he does argue his way through it. However. That sequence in the courtroom where he's trying to defend himself and all that, 
there are parts in there that I swear he's tearing up. That he 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 almost looks like he he could start crying. Irrelevant testimony, entirely irrelevant. All right. We agree there is evidence to support the court's contention that humans have been savage. Therefore, I say test us. Test whether this is presently true of humans. There must be many ways we can be tested. We have a long mission ahead of us. And I see him not so much as Kirk with Kirk's reasoning and trying to trying to think his way out as I see him as very pleading in that part. And I tried really, really hard to divorce any any preconceptions I had. You know, I tried not to bring like Kirk and Spock and McCoy to the table watching this. But it was hard because I can remember very specifically for a long time in this series, e- even beyond this pilot, of they would get in a certain situation, you know, the captain would be in a certain situation and, and going, what would Kirk do? What would Kirk do? What would Kirk... And that, man, it took me a long time to finally shut that off in my head, you know, to stop thinking, how would Kirk deal with this situation? But it was tough. You know, you were just, you were used to the way that Kirk did things. Right. But yeah, that that surrender, man, I can remember <laughs> that being a big fucking deal, especially, you know, with, with the people that I would watch Star Trek with, you know, like my uncles. You know, I can remember well, Gary in particular getting really pissed about, you know, it's like, oh, Kirk wouldn't because fucking surrender. I think Roddenberry was very, like, anti, he wanted to, he wanted a situation to end with violence only as a last resort. Or there right. even to be, you know, the less weapons that could be used, the less fist fighting that could be employed, the better. To, he wanted to show a future of, like, diplomacy and tolerance mm-hmm. and and all that, which is a great future, but it doesn't make for as exciting television. So right. the, phaser, the phasers have to come out eventually but in this one like the phaser play is mostly you know the the alien race bombarding the planet and not I actually made a the note enterprise of that. using phaser play to solve it as much you know it's yeah, more of an the, outside the only, threat the only time the crew of the enterprise uses the phasers is they phaser open a door and they phaser Groppler Zorn out of that holding field that he's in. Right. Other than that, there's there's no federation. There's no phasers used on people, right? In it, so you know, I think Roddenberry was getting more of that in, and he wanted to present. And that's what I liked about this was seventy some years in the future, and people were people were different. The federation was different for better or worse. It was a more, for lack of a better term, although I'm sure there is a better term. You know, it was more PC. It was more based on diplomacy based on working stuff out the hard way <laughs> you know right. more than more so than you know being the the and Kirk was even a throwback back in his day to the battle and captain sort of thing so that is not I I, I uh, and and that that would bring us probably to Riker as being the next character as being the sort of battle and captain ladies man yeah, he's no. he's very much the throwback because a term that comes Charmer. up much much later is cowboy diplomacy. Yeah, is is how they look back at Kirk era, that right. it was the rough and tumble frontier days type of yeah. thing, and you know they they consider themselves more evolved and and stuff like that. I'm not sure how I feel about that because that to me sounds like a put down of 
Kirk era Star Trek, whether they intended that way or not. Well, it, it, was, it was like Kirk and those guys would view the Old West as savage. Mm-hmm. You know, so it, although there were more years between the Old West and Kirk than there was in Kirk and the Picard crew, but still, right. 79 years is a, you know, 79 years of our, you know, we can see how we've changed as, oh, yeah. as species in 79 years. So, and, and the future in the way things are going it's this exponential growth of stuff so things progress probably even faster in the future so yeah and i think Riker was thrown in there to have a character of he was he was sort of decker and kirk mixed together right right yeah very much so it and is, i liked him for that i, I yeah. he was he was really uh, well, he's got William Shatner's first name, and he's got sort of Decker, almost a Decker-like last name. So, well, I mean, I, I can cut to the chase on on the character thing and, and break it down this way: that there were really only two characters that I latched onto as my favorites, and there was only one starting out that I outright hated. And the two that I latched onto were Riker. And Tasha Yar. I loved Tasha Yar. I thought she kicked ass. I mean, the part where she takes out that that soldier guy in the courtroom scene won me over right there. That she was just, she was the security person. You know, she was the hothead, but she was also the, the cute girl that could kick ass and take care of herself. And I really liked that. And I, I always wanted to see those two characters get together. And the character I couldn't stand... And I'm still not terribly warm to even today is Deanna Troy. But uh, especially in this episode, because her job is to fucking cry. And I just, I never liked that. It was like, Jesus, she's useless. All she does is sit around and blat. And it just drove me nuts. And it was a long time before it seemed like she ever did anything more than just blat. Well, I, I, I thought she was sort of taken from the Dune series. Where in Dune, in, in the Dune books, there would be these these mostly female characters who were sensitive, who would be brought in for negotiations to try to to try to sense what was going on with the with the other people. You know, since they were sensitive to emotions and stuff, they would give a different angle on it. And that's what I pictured her on here. And she didn't have much to work with in, in this one except for pain and suffering right. of the creature that was at far point so yeah so she all she did get to do was blat and she also got to be the character that really would drive you she, her character i grew her character grew on me not only because she was kind of hot but after no. a while but at first you see well different different tastes but she sort of drove me nuts because she was sort of the touchy-feely, new-agey character that, like, right. when, you know, this action would be going on, she'd be like, Captain, how do you feel? Or, you know, I sense that you're, you know, and that would get old to me if I was there. You know, somebody was saying, I sense that you're torn about this. It's just like, yeah, leave me alone, okay? <laughs> Let me figure this out, you know? But instead, she was sort of psychoanalyzing everybody at every turn, and that person in real life would get really old after a while. It's just like, right. hey, stay out of my head, you know. Well, they're like they're like the fucking HR rep that's constantly around, you know, trying to 
do like morale surveys and shit at work. You know, it's yeah. it's one of those kind of people. You know, like you know, get the fuck out of here. You well, know, it's, it's like, like being I in a relationship with something somebody, and they're constantly asking you, "How do you feel? What do you th- What do you think? What are you thinking right now?" Yeah, like the clingy girlfriend. Yeah, yeah. she is. She's sort of the clingy <laughs> girlfriend that, of of the enterprise. You know. What are you thinking right now? I don't know. I'm thinking I want to watch Leno. Shut up. I'm thinking you need to give me some fucking space. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah, but you know, I mean that. But they were try. You know, they were trying to introduce that. And we've come to this point where we now we use sensitives to who will sort of. Now we can evaluate the situation not only on our empirical evidence, but we have somebody who can sometimes glean what's going on in someone's head you know outside of their external so that would be so that makes sense if there were people like that they would probably have them on a starfleet ship to do just that but you know well, she think... was and she became the counselor slash psychiatrist right. i understand that but man it would get it would get old and well, you know something that just occurred to me that has n- literally never occurred to me until just this moment Maybe part of the reason I always resented her was that by having her there in place in the in the position that she's in, that pretty much precluded ever getting scenes like the one between Pike and Boyce in the cage or between Kirk and McCoy in a lot of episodes where they'd sit around and just have a drink and Kirk would say, you know, gee, I wish I had a beach to walk on or, you know. Well, this show automatically had a bigger cast, ensemble cast to deal with right out of the gate. So I think she was going to be used as also a good plot device to, she could circumnavigate a lot of exposition that would have to be going. She could be a character that lends insight to what's going on rather than have characters with exposition. Because there's more characters in play in this one. All the characters in the original Star Trek would, were sort of like background characters that became more popular or or whatever. But this one has, you know, knew that there would be these, these characters like Geordi and stuff that would probably... So they introduced them right off the bat. Right. Let's give this a nice bit, and, the, and then as the series went on, there were even more people added. So there were a lot of people to have subplots and, and right. All that. I, I, I can understand that, but at the same time, I think that that could be a double-edged sword because oh, sure. then you know somebody who actually you you I always felt that you needed to get inside their head a little better. Like say the captain, right? Maybe it wouldn't have taken as many seasons as it did to where I'd stop feeling like, God, he's a grumpy old fucker, you know? And, you know, if you'd actually been in his head right from, you know, because with, with Captain Pike, for example, you're in his head right in the very first episode because you have those scenes with him and the doctor where he's saying, you know, I don't know. I have my doubts about this. Yeah, exactly. And and with, with Picard, you never get that. Picard's an uptight, more of an uptight motherfucker. He's, 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 yeah, he's very, and so he's he's less likable. Oh yeah. Well, yeah. Well, yeah, but that's, uh, but that's okay. He's, it makes his, it, I guess his, I guess it might even be better to have an unlikable character who has, you know, so you get a chance to actually 
learn about them and like them. You know, like sometimes I've worked with people that were unlikable that I've ended up grudgingly liking and getting along with. Right. I mean, but you that... get to know them or, or whatever. So I think a lot of these characters were made not to be immediately grabbed onto. You know, I think Data was more of something for somebody to the character to immediately grab onto as being the cool one because he's strong. And right. he's learning how to be a human, but at the same time, he's a encyclopedia of knowledge. He's the Spock character. It's a character that we're going to see become more human in right. time. But right now, he's the the weird, freakish thing, and and also the Klingon having Worf on on the bridge. Yeah. So there's a Klingon, and we get to and you know in this one we get to see him go. I'm a Klingon. I can't be from battle. No, you're a Starfleet officer. You'll obey orders and do what I say. Well, my you know. note on Worf was, to, to the best of my recollection, my reaction to Worf was kind of mixed, but I do remember specifically thinking, you know, that thank God he wasn't the, the pussy that his inspiration was, you know, because I, you know, I really feel like Konam, Konam is the, the direct, the forerunner of you know, yeah, Worf. exactly. Well, the thing about Worf is actually, usually you would have a Klingon character in you would think over the course of it from being he would become a hard ass to a wimpier character but i think he actually gets a little more hard ass as time goes on oh yeah yeah so as as he even gets goes from into different star trek series he becomes more of a his makeup changes also a little bit he is he is in his a lot. <laughs> he has he has sort of a big baby head in this one that makes him not look <laughs> as as mean and he's a little lighter colored so he he looks like a just sort of a weird you know his hair is he's got a really uh nice and combed down hairdo in this in this one on top of a he's sort the, of bald his head like- yeah, he's got the hydrocephalic clean. <laughs> yeah, head. So, and it, yeah. it doesn't make him look as as badass. But you know, so but it, it but you know now all these years and after it, it doesn't seem as radical as in it was like oh a Klingon on the Enterprise, you know? Right. Yeah. You know the Klingons in Enterprise were like complete polar opposites. So so is so that was another sign of of advancement and uh Fresh, you know yeah. a female doctor and and i also thought the the doctor character was she was kind of a hard ass in this one she was a little harsher in this one sort of mccoy like you know she was a, a bit of a prickly pear oh i didn't i don't know if i found her mccoy like because that, 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 that but comes she was, on later she had on. a little bit of anger in her you know she had right, a little yeah. bit of gr- gr- grumpliness she was the only character that we really felt right out of the shoot had some baggage had a little baggage maybe a little grudge toward Picard and you know and and her kids Wesley so that would be annoying and maybe make you a little testy (laughs) although I like the character of Wesley because he's the smart kid but he's annoying in the way that smart kids were in the way that I was annoying I was thinking back on that when we were talking about Wesley, and I'll I'll just chalk it up this way. In fairness, my disdain for Wesley Crusher didn't happen until next episode. So I'm going to table my my thing with Wesley. Because in this episode, I actually, if I remember properly, when I walked away from this one, originally seeing this in 87, I think I actually kind of liked him because we had seen uh, Stand By Me, and he was, you know, 
the the star of that movie, and I really liked his portrayal in that, and I think that's probably what won him the role in this. Oh yeah. So you know, so I was still enjoying him in, in that aspect, and it really wasn't until the next episode. So I'll I'll, I'll save any any Wesley Crusher hate until so, next so time what, around. What's our next character? I guess it would be like Jordy. Would be the next one, sort of in line. Yeah, you know, I was, I've, my my initial reaction to Jordy is still my reaction to Jordy today, which is I'm kind of indifferent to him. I don't, I neither like him or hate him. He just, he was just there. I never thought he was particularly important or did anything particularly great. Even the Jordy episodes that we would eventually get, I always felt they were kind of eh. So yeah, I mean he's he's kind of safe in my rundown because I I don't really have any feelings for him one he's way. Just, or I think he's just the generally the good natured tech guy. Yeah, and this, he's the guy who can fix the technical problems. Right, in it, and he's a he's a generally good natured guy that everybody he's the good natured blind guy. Oh, you know, he's just generally <laughs> happy and easy to get along with, happy go lucky sort of guy, and he comes in handy. When something mechanical needs to be figured out to get around how we need to do something. Yeah, but see, that comes later, though, because th- that lends in. He he and Worf are the two big ones that struck me in this pilot that I could not figure out what the hell they were supposed to be doing. Because they both seem to wander. And one moment they're... Well, I they're... always looked at Jordy as being sort of the engineering guy, sort of the Scotty of the show. Well, eventually, but not yeah, in this. Not in this one. Not in but... this. Yeah, because they they had a rotating cast of chief engineers yeah. for this first season until I'm I'm pretty sure it was the beginning of the second season where Jordy was announced as now he's the chief engineer because that's when to me things started to gel was when everybody finally got a permanent a role to duty. play. Yeah. yeah. Because it's you know, Worf doesn't get one until later on. Jordy doesn't get one until the second season, and I don't know that Data ever really got one at all. He he arguably was like science officer or something, but then still a lot of the time he'd be sitting up at the front running the ship too. So you know, I, I never. That was one of the things that that People always had did multiple talents probably yeah, at, yeah. At that that were trained to be useful in many ways, which is would be a very handy thing in case somebody got killed or. You know, somebody else could step in and that's true, and and do do their task. You know, people could step into several places, so you know you didn't have to worry about. Well, we don't have anybody to run the transporter. You know, now we have five people. What other characters are there? I guess that's well, all. The, the only other one that strikes me, and, and he wouldn't really become a character. He's not even named in this, and he wouldn't become a character until later on. Was uh, Cole Meany. Is here right from the get-go because when uh-huh. they go to the battle bridge, he's the one that's on the con- at the con station, and there's a point where where uh, it's either Picard or Riker. I think it's Picard says con because Cole Meaty says something and he says like thank you con or something like that. So for the longest time, I thought the character's name was con. Right. Yeah, I didn't realize that that was actually the station. So he doesn't get a name. For a while, I but he becomes a character. Yeah, he becomes a, a good yeah. character in this eventually. But now he's just a yeah. face in the background. Yeah, but it's cool that he was there right from the get go. I think a lot of people forget that, you know, because he would eventually go on to you know become important not only in this show, but then he was also 
the Scotty character on DS9. See, I, I thought they did a good job of coming up with a good ensemble cast that was mm-hmm. with some surprises and some familiarities in it and a good enough backstory and and stuff to set up stuff in the future or to discard if they if they I was didn't just gonna, work out. Yeah. I was just going to say that, that I'm glad that there was actually, that they didn't, that they didn't look at the original series model and go, okay, we need seven people. That they actually overbooked so that, like you say, there was room for, you know, dropping off. Unfortunately, the ones that drop off aren't always the ones that we wished would drop off. Right. you know the first big one that drops off. I lament to this very day, and I, I suspect that actor probably does too. <laughs> but uh, let me see. I'm trying to let me see my other note. Well, I, I liked you know another parallel between this one and say like Star Trek: The Motion Picture is, you know, there's that bigger budget, but there's also those Roddenberry isms, you know, little things yeah. that are, that you only ever see in this episode and then are quickly abandoned. Like I like in the very beginning when Picard is wandering through the ship and they're saluting him. And that's the only time we ever see salutes in this. And I, I think in all of Star Trek, I don't think we ever see any salutes again, if I remember properly, but I could be wrong about that. But I know in next gen, we never see salutes again. And so, I, I mean, you could probably chalk it up to maybe Picard ordered, you know. Maybe for the maiden voyage, there yeah. would be a little more formality aboard. Yeah. And then afterwards, it became a thing, you know, because they don't, you know, like when Picard comes on the bridge, they don't say, you know, captain on the bridge. Right. Which, which they're supposed to, but, you know, a lot of times in, like, a naval tradition, you know, a lot of times the officers, when they get tired of shit like that, they'll just have a standing they'll order. Okay, like, I walk at, in the yeah. Bridge, yeah. Because we, we had that, like with our, you know, when I was in the service, our lieutenant, you know, in certain conditions, in certain areas or what, did not want to be saluted, you know. So it was like a standing order that everybody understood. So it's very likely that after, you know, this maiden voyage, he said, all right, you know, stifle the, the salute. Yeah. We talked a little bit about the, the saucer set, which I thought was really cool. That was kind of a, a big deal at the time. It was, it was cool. It was a big deal at the time. And now when you see it, you can tell they wanted to, you know, they pour on the, the theme music and they, 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 it's a big dramatic scene. Cause it's like, Ooh, cool. We've never seen the saucers separate from, from the main ship, but it's just the, the music puts it overboard. It doesn't go along with all the shots of everybody <laughs> staring out into space majestically and all that. And it was a cool thing at the time, but now it comes off as being like, hey, look at this. Here it is, a saucer separation. And I like the idea that there was a little more compact battle bridge. That made yes. sense. That made sense, you know. that when it, I, I didn't notice the music being as cheesy when I saw it, but this time I definitely did and was like, wow, they're really making a big deal out of this. Well, you know, speaking of the battle bridge, I can remember for a long time, and, and to a certain degree, I still do. I actually like the battle bridge better than the the bridge they used because it felt more like Kirk's era bridge. It was a little more claustrophobic. It was a little more yeah submarine militaristic. You know what I mean? It, it didn't have that. You know, because the the bridge that we see regularly through Next Gen, it always looked to me like. 
they were at a, a, a hotel or like they were on vacation. Right. So it was very – because, you know, you'll notice through this – and this was another one of my notes. They have all these warm colors, all these warm earth tones and stuff. Uh-huh. And I can remember watching these episodes on videotape and, you know, red and orange weren't your friend on videotape. That stuff had a tendency to really blur and, and look really – you know what I, you, you remember what uh-huh. I'm talking about when you'd watch something that was really really red on yeah. videotape and it would get all weird and distorted looking and so I never thought that those I know what they were going for with with trying to to portray this as less of a military unit and yeah. more of a yeah this sort of progressive feng shui well, you, know, you know exactly spaceship. yeah yeah well they were going to be living there so right. you know they didn't they, they didn't want to be going out you know, with their families and living on this this city in space and having it look like, you know, like a submarine. They wanted it to look like, you know, that they were staying at, you know, the the Ritz-Carlton or whatever. But I think sometimes that look went a little too far the other way to where sometimes it didn't look enough like a spaceship and it looked a little bit too much. You know, uh, too much like a lounge. Yeah. yeah. But – uh. Going back to the saucer set, I just I like the fact that things we had read, you know, in those intermediate years, you know, when when Star Trek existed pretty much just as novels, you know, suddenly some of those concepts like saucer separation, especially the holodeck. I can remember reading about something very similar to the holodeck in one of Alan Dean Foster's Star Trek logs. Uh-huh. And that here it was adapted, you know, to next gen. And I thought that was really a cool idea that, you know, that they took that idea and ran with it. You know, the idea that you could use basically transporter technology to, to create. create rocks and trees and yeah. stuff. The only bad thing to me is I wish that they had left it at that level. Because I think that's plausible, you know, with the rocks and trees. You know, the very simple holodeck that we see in this episode as yeah. opposed to the really crazy shit that comes along to later. The simulations with characters and stuff yeah. that have real personalities and that yeah. sort of thing. Yeah. And, and this could very well be the only holodeck episode that we ever, or, you know, the only use of the holodeck we ever see where it doesn't fuck up and try to kill somebody. <laughs> exactly. Well, otherwise it's just, yeah. It, but it's, it's cool that they, that they introduce that concept. Here was one of the big scenes was McCoy. Yeah. I love, you know, especially now that, that Deep's gone. Watching that scene is just doubly poignant now. You know, I really, really like His that southern scene. accents come back, yep. and he's crotchety, and who does he get stuck with? Data, you know? <laughs> but it's weird that that was his only sort of... He's coming aboard, and they bring him aboard, but that, then you don't see anything else after that it's just that one little walk and it is a great concept that he would be with data and that he would see the parallels to spock you know i don't see any pointy ears on you mm-hmm. and 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 that's sort of funny and that uh, you gotta treat her like a lady you know and he, and it was just a great bit of acting by kelly too because his walk and everything was just a great ancient crotchety old man i think you know i remember at the time when this happened thinking as awesome as that i've always liked that scene i've always thought it was awesome yeah i thought that he was kind of a strange choice for the crossover character right but now looking back at it i think the only other character that for you know for this being the pilot that may have been 
plausible you know, would have been plausible Spock. or 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 well I was actually thinking of uh, of Scotty because you know Scotty you know if he still existed by that time you know having naturally want to for- see a new enterprise right yeah I could see him being like chief of Starfleet engineering or something like that by that point so but yeah I, I think McCoy works although I, I love there's a a nitpick for this in the nitpickers guide that uh that was actually pretty funny it's, it, it makes the case that you know all right this far point station is supposed to be basically at the edge of the known universe right and uh-huh. like you know, it's like the jumping off point for the unknown so would they really want to car this ancient legendary right. star trek figure all the way out to the middle of fucking to the edge of the universe (laughs) you know that actually is a very good point i think now the ferengi get mentioned in this Uh and as being sort of cannibalistic too yeah man i wish i would love to know what the original intent and the original thing was going to be with the ferengi because you know we would eventually meet them and for me personally, are my my most fucking hated of Star Trek aliens. I've goddamn hate the Ferengi. So, but I'm curious what well they're you know, built they up to be, have been. They're you know? sort of built up to be really badasses in this one. They're sort of you know, well yeah. the Ferengi ate the last people they did business with. So it was just like I was like, oh, I remember thinking, okay, these are going to be the new since the Klingons are obviously not a threat anymore. Mm-hmm. And, you know, maybe not, you know, we know more about the Romulans, so they're not a mysterious, this is the new badass foe, is right. going to be the Ferengi, and the name Ferengi sounds badass, you know, it sounds I had mean. visions of, like, alien. Yeah, yeah. You know, like, like Ridley Scott's alien. Yeah. You know, is really what I had in mind, that, that these were going to be, like, Bad, you know, evil, yeah. Yeah. They'll eat you. <laughs> yeah. I kind of uh, I kind of wish they'd gone that direction, because we never... I don't know. Maybe I'm not thinking. I don't know. Let me do a quick think here. I don't know. Did we did we ever get like chew you up and eat you aliens on Star Trek? I don't. I don't think we did. On a, who got on a, to? No, I mean like, like <laughs> past past this point. You yeah. know what I mean? No, not really. I mean, because we do get some great villains. But I don't remember them ever really fighting anybody that they were afraid were going to, like, eat them, you know? Yeah. They, were, they might be afraid they would assimilate them or, yes. or just outright kill them but not eat them. Yeah. Which could would have really been a cool a cool villain to worry about that, you know, that, geez, you know, if they, if they you know, disable the warp drive and take our shields down, they're going to come over here and eat us all, you know? That, yeah. that actually would have been pretty cool. Yeah, that but, sort you know, of happens in um, Serenity or... Um that TV show, there's the bad guys in there are cannibalistic marauders that will destroy, you know, rape your women, burn your town, and eat you or put you on the wheel of pain. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> I need to watch that show. I really do. Yes, I you do. To that one. Now, but, on the subject of, uh, of lost abilities, there's a number of things that I think we only ever see in this pilot. But the one that always struck me was uh, the one that you were just talking about where the Riker asks that woman for directions and she teaches him how to use the computer and the computer's like, you know, okay, well, you know, follow this hallway down here and uh-huh. take a left. Do they ever use I, I don't, don't think they I ever don't use remember that ever seeing that again, yeah. 
Yeah, that's a shame. Maybe they broke it or something. <laughs> and then uh, there was a like sort of a like a changed premise kind of thing where Data says something about class of seven. He graduated from the class of seventy eight, and that was something they never referenced again because it, they ended up changing what year all this was supposed to take place uh-huh. in. Because they were always kind of vague. You know, they said something about, you know, 78 years. Well, McCoy years was 135 passed. years old, so right. you could hash it out from there if you knew McCoy's age. Yeah, you know, that's a good point, too. I hadn't thought of that. If you know how old McCoy was supposed to be in the yeah. original, though. Yeah. Because they said it was 78 years later, but they never tell you 78 years from when. From, from when? like when Kirk retired or when Kirk started out or, you know, when exactly. Right. Was this supposed to be? So, so if we can figure out McCoy's age, we could figure out what year it was, especially. But I'm sure there's a lot of things that don't line up with star dates. Oh yeah, <laughs> you know. Oh yeah. Well, also, there's a really bad scene splice on the holodeck when uh, when Riker comes to to get Data, and he and Data are walking along, and he's talking about he s- says something about you know, data feeling superior to humans or something like that. And they go behind a tree. And as they go behind that tree, watch that scene. And there's like a horrible splice in there that they tried to kind of fuzz it up a little bit to cover it. But it just, and once you see it, you can't unsee it. You know what I mean? Uh It it really is, is really bad. And why they didn't like retake the scene or, or, try something different i don't know but it it really looks poor but you know to their credit it's the only one like that in 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 the whole episode that was you know like an awkward camera moment or whatever but that's always bugged me whenever i watch this here's my biggest nitpick for this whole episode and i don't know you can tell me if i'm being too nitpicky or what but i think this is a whopper all right so the alien ship shows up to rescue the other one that's down on the uh-huh. planet and it comes flying in and what does it look like a ufo right all right and then somebody i, I think it's wharf or it's Worf or the other guy that's sitting at the front they're running like the records trying to identify this vessel and he says and i quote that there's no record of any such vessel nothing even close <laughs> it's a fucking flying saucer. Are you uh-huh. kidding me? There's nothing else that they've ever experienced in, what, two centuries of space travel that looks like a flying saucer. Well, it's maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe that, maybe not visually, but maybe the readouts of the. I don't know. <laughs> uh, I'm calling for the sad trombone right now. That that's just a piss poor piece of dialogue. Gee, we've never seen anything that looks like a flying saucer before. I mean, oh, give me a break. That was just really stupid. But there's so many other things in this that that make up for it. I mean, I really did like the episode, and uh, when Picard closes out the episode with uh, with the "Let's see what's out there," really, really reminds me of Kirk's "That Away." You know, at the end of. Uh, of the motion picture and I really like that you know it, uh-huh. it sets the whole you know, I get the same feeling 
when Picard does that at the end of this one, that I get, you know, that zing I get from the end of the motion picture where, you know, it really feels like, okay, now we're going places. You know, we're, yeah. we're headed out into that great unknown expanse and we're going to have these awesome adventures and all that. And, you know, and, and in this case with, with TNG, you know, it's, it's really the literal truth. I mean, you know, there's, there's great stuff coming along, you know, having kicked off with this, with this first episode. I love it. Yeah, and well, that's exactly what it was supposed to do. It was supposed to be the <laughs> the opening salvo in a long. I I bet you they didn't even. I bet you they didn't think that it would probably run as long as it did. I mean, it ran a hundred episodes more than the original series. Yeah, so it more than doubled the original series. I wonder and, what kind of life they thought it would have because I, I've heard interviews with like Patrick Stewart, for example, where he didn't unpack. Right, or it's some crazy number like six months or something where he didn't unpack because he was he just thought for sure. Well, Star Trek has a, had a history of being canceled and right and being delayed or almost being canceled or you know some sort of hootenanny going on around it and Roddenberry being difficult and all that. So mm-hmm. Star Trek was a pretty traditionally embattled project no matter what star trek thing was happening it was an embattled project and scandalous so i'm sure they thought they were taking a big risk even though it was star trek it was also star trek but it was all new star trek so it could have completely flopped i know paramount was shitting a brick over the Uh whole thing that they were really really nervous because they they almost begrudgingly Greenlighted this project. Uh-huh. It was almost. It was almost like a. All right, we got to shut these fans up. You know, we're finally going to give them what they want. And sometimes I almost wonder, by the way things were done and marketed, and the money, the way money was spent, and everything. This, this sounds crazy to say it, and, and very like conspiracy theory type stuff. But I almost wonder sometimes if they went ahead and they greenlighted it and they spent the money they spent and everything, thinking. It'll spectacularly fail, and then we can finally shut these people <laughs> up. Just you know? leave, it, leave it at that. Yeah, right. You know, and then it and then it takes off and does what it does. And I mean, is that a crazy thought? Because I sometimes I really felt that way. There, that might have been an undercurrent of it, but really, I don't think anybody would have really wanted to lose that money. I think it was just such a. It's just that stupid mindset that always. It was a self-negating, it sort of fed into itself where, okay, Star Trek, you know, because they didn't know how to really do ratings or find out who is really watching a show, Star Trek had low ratings in its original run. So it had a hard time renewing itself, but it would renew itself because really a lot of people were actually watching it. And they would raise a ruckus and then they would bring it back and it would make money. And, you know, even the, the, and the movie made a lot of money, but it just wasn't the critical success that people thought it might be or that it could have been. So people viewed it as a flop or a disappointment. So even though Star Trek was making money in this huge cultural phenomena, they just never, ever, ever had much faith in it. Right. You know, it really never, it was given the big treatment twice, the motion picture and J.J. Abrams. And every other time, you know, they had to squeeze every little bit of cash cola out of it to 
right. get it done and had the studio breathing down their necks and cutting their budget and, and all that stuff because they never wanted to take a risk on Star Trek and really all the risk had been through their bungling and their perception of it rather than Star Trek itself. Yeah, that's one thing that, that will come back to kind of haunt this series later on and, and that I've always lamented is that, again, much like Star Trek The Motion Picture, you know, they spared no expense for this episode. Right. But then as soon as the series started, man, it was, you know, building sets out of garbage, you know, and, and scraping and scrounging for, for budget. And, you know, I know that there's been criticism of Star Trek over the years, particularly by people that aren't into Star Trek, that, you know, it doesn't have enough action and it doesn't have enough explosions and laser fights and stuff. Well, that's all budgetary stuff. And, you know, so I I don't blame the show for that. I blame the assholes behind it that weren't giving it the money to where you could... Right, because you could do it upright, where you could show everything you wanted to. But at the same time, we've also had the conversation that a lot of times those limitations can help you by making you have to write better and be more well, creative they they can but at the same rate i mean I, I i as a fan i sometimes feel that because there there will be episodes of next gen that will come along that, that we'll talk about where just like in the original series the entire fight will take place as we're looking at the people on the bridge and we won't see an exchange of phaser fire or anything and I lament that. I lament that, you know, you didn't occasionally see some spectacular kick-ass space battle. I think every once in a while it would have been really nice to actually see, you know, the battle that was happening outside the window. And and we seldom did because they couldn't afford it. And that sucks. You know, that that's really a shame. And actually that leads into a question I wanted to ask you is... Uh, you know, now that this is creeping up on 25 years old and, and some of those video effects are looking kind of rough, I, I wonder, do you think there might be an enhanced treatment version of this coming down the pike someday? You know, I thought of that, and I thought it would probably be even easier to do an enhanced version of this because a lot of the raw footage of it and raw was probably, is probably still intact. Right. Mm-hmm. And since it's all computer generated originally, it's going to be even more seamless to have the computer generated ship in it. But there's That's a lot true. more shows to do. But I, I don't know. I think if they thought there was a market for it, I bet you it could happen. Because, yeah, they, I mean, th- these, these could be, um, you know, CGI toned up very easily without totally ruining it you know do if they did it the same way that they did the original series which was very tastefully that actually adds to it well you know it wasn't too many years in the future of this that they went to all you know all digital effects i mean i don't think we ever got any all digital effects during the run of next gen but i know about midway or so through say like voyager they suddenly stopped doing models and they went to, you know, all CGI ships. So, I mean, I I think you could make that transition backwards. You know, you could take this episode, for example, and redo all of the space stuff like they did with the enhanced original series stuff. And I think it would blend even better, you know, with with something like this. I'd, I'd love to see them do that. And, 
you know, not not just that though, but you know, they could also add to them. Like I was, you know, I'm not talking like a Lucas, you know, Star Wars special edition type of treatment, but something that would totally blend, but where you would actually get some of those exterior battle shots I was talking about, you know, in an episode that currently, as it exists right now, doesn't basically the bridge shaking back and forth, yeah, people tipping around, yeah. But then suddenly you could add in little clips of the battle actually happening, you know, with CGI, you know, ships fighting and blowing up and stuff. I would love to see that stuff, you know, just, just to jazz up the action a notch, you know what I mean? Not, not to tamper with the original material or anything, but just, just to give it that, that kick up on the action meter. I I would, I, I could totally go for something like that. Well, let me ask you this. Uh, this was the last thing I thought of was, uh, you know, we were talking about Roddenberry and his influence, especially really, really heavily in this, you know, throughout this show and, and through the entire first season. As much as I love that, the first season is, to my knowledge, is generally regarded by most, you know, even the most hardcore of TNG fans as pretty much like the roughest season. The worst, yeah. So do you think... This series would have had the same legs had Roddenberry maintained control straight on through the whole thing. I don't know if it would have. I would have liked it just as much as it did because I am digging the first season and I dig the Roddenberry stuff in it because even when it makes it clunky or it's a little intrusive, it's just nice to see somebody who had a vision for the future that was optimistic oh, and hell was yeah. trying to employ it in stories that people would watch and that would go into their consciousness and say this is what the future is going to be like it's bad now but in the future humans will get past a lot of this shit but they won't get past it so much that life will become boring because there'll be new things and so there so this was the this sort of template that he would use to portray how far we had come and that the new challenges that we had that we face would face, you know, or could possibly face, and there's not enough. I mean, most science fiction for the you know these days and for the last you know several decades has been pretty dystopian and dark. I mean, the the new sort of way of thinking of the future is more in the Blade Runner sort of way, a dark, crowded world of crime and or sort of like Coruscant. <laughs> right. Yeah. Exactly. But um. But he had a different. He was the. This is, human beings are eventually going to get past all this stuff, and this is what it would be like. And uh, I liked all that show. I liked him ha- finally being able to say, "Okay, I want to do this," and not have somebody shoot him down as much. Now, I guess from what I've read and my impression of Gene Roddenberry, he needed to be shot down sometimes just to keep him from totally going nuts or right. totally ruining. You know, totally just getting too intrusive on it, but. I'm enjoying seeing more. There, there's whole lines and things in there that you go, ah, Gene Roddenberry got that in there. He told the writers, I want to make sure that people know that this happens in the future. Right. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't, I, I don't, I think, isn't it most people like regard episodes where Riker doesn't have a beard as being the inferior ones? And when he has a beard, it's like, oh, okay, it's safe. It's going to be past this, <laughs> past that I'd certain never... point in time. I never heard that before, but actually, yeah, that 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 logic holds actually, because yeah, he he had the beard starting right, right. out in, in the second season, 
Because right. to me, you know, that, that you know, I, I have, in hindsight, gained a lot more respect for a lot more of the episodes in the first season. But the, epi- you know, the first season is still the, the roughest one, although there there's an, another season way late in the series that, that I think is almost as rough. But, uh, you know, I, it, 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 it's hard to say. It's really hard to say if it would have had the same legs or if it would have had... It, I think it would have had a different feel. But then again, I don't know how... It may not have been that different because this was the last Star Trek series that was ever done where Roddenberry, you know, went away, you know, and eventually he died, you know, but where he wasn't necessarily in direct control after a particular point, but the the powers that be were still very devoted to bringing Gene's vision just as close as they could. They made a few tweaks, tweaks that I I really feel are for the better for the most part, like when they finally started allowing conflict between regulars, you know, stuff like that, which is something that Gene was very opposed to. You know, he didn't want Starfleet officers to not get along with each other. You know, that was something that was absolutely forbidden. And it wasn't until, you know, he wasn't involved anymore that we finally started to see stories like that creep in, you know, things like that. But uh, I think for the most part, the the, the series probably, it may not have gone the full seven or whatever, but I think it would have been probably still pretty, I don't know. It really would have been interesting to find out. But I, I think that is one of the big reasons why I really enjoyed this series is that throughout the whole thing, whether he was directly involved or whether he was just being honored by the people, you know, he left, he left Star Trek in the hands of, it still very much felt true to his vision. It's the last series of Star Trek that really did feel totally true to Roddenberry. Cause I, you know, the next one that we got sure as hell didn't feel true to Roddenberry at all, in my opinion. So, but that's for way, way, way down the road. Yeah. Way, way, way down the road. So what do you think? We about wrapped up for this one? I think that about says most of it all. You know, I'm sure we could talk a lot longer about it, but yeah. Oh, yeah. I hope that the listeners have enjoyed this one. I hope they're just as excited about our kickoff and, uh, and our coverage of, uh, of Next Generation as we are. And come back next time. We'll, uh, what's the next one called? The Naked Now, I believe, right? I believe so, yes. Yeah. Yeah, good episode. I'm looking forward to that one. And that will be part of our regular Star Trek Monthly Monday. And yep. it'll be a regular part from now on. So, awesome. We'll see you there. Visit our website at twotruefreaks.libsyn.com where you can download all of our episodes and find our forum to openly and freely discuss topics from this and all other episodes with us and your fellow listeners. twotruefreaks.libsyn.com is spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S dot Libsyn, which is L-I-B-S-Y-N dot com. The Two True Freaks now have a phone line where you can call and leave a completely inappropriate message. Maybe we'll even use it on the show. That number is 1-585-COP-LURE. That's 1-585-267-5873. You can email Two True Freaks directly at twotruefreaks at gmail.com. If you enjoyed this show, why not review us in iTunes? And if you didn't enjoy this show... 
Why not review us in iTunes? Two True Freaks is a very proud member of the League of Comic Book Podcasts. For more information, visit comicbooknoise.com slash league. We are now also members of the Comics Podcast Network. You can check it out at www.comicspodcast.com where you can hear our new episodes when we put them up. Thanks for listening to Two True Freaks. Two True Freaks has been brought to you today by Damanzo Corps of Milan, Italy, and by the letters F and U.